if only we had a production team to actually do this stuff, so I'm not sitting here trying to time music around a microphone going through a speaker. You know, we're, we're going to get there, Nick. We're going to get there. Mm-hmm. So, this is our new theme song. Huh? This yeah. is. We actually have theme music. You you wrote and recorded this this week, right, Nick? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Under the name Ben Sound that I got from the website. Thanks. Thanks, person. Um, yeah. Well, uh, we're episode 10. This is when I said I'm going to officially stop We've numbering episodes. Barstool Politics has made it to episode 10. This is a, this is a big deal. This is the longest I've ever stuck with anything in my life. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming your wife doesn't listen. <laughs> oh, yes, congratulations, double digits. This is uh, and and as Phil was pointing off off air that you know our listeners are going up. You guys seem to be enjoying. That's that's good news as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell your friends. Keep keep listening. Yeah, uh, as we always say, um, because we like shameless plugs, uh, we are on SoundCloud. Uh, you can check us out there if, for whatever reason, you don't have iTunes. I'm not sure why you wouldn't. Um, we're on iTunes as well. Um, so put in your podcast app, um, download it, take it with you. Um, people are saying it's too long. I don't think it's too long. I think yeah, we're you know we get I into we get into some stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And another thing, who, to, says, who says it's too long? <laughs> people, <Give> me names, <laughs> enemies, <laughs> enemies of the people, enemy of the people. Yes. Exactly. And one other thing, you know, uh, we're yeah on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Also, the email is out there, right? You know, we're still waiting for that first email. Barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Um, <laughs> you know, if you have questions, whatever it is, that email is is waiting for some. <laughs> it's for thinking. <laughs> I'm, I like I'm. I just assume that people just can't access YouTube anymore at this point. Yeah. YouTube. Yahoo. Yahoo. Wow. Yeah. I think they yeah. can access YouTube. Wow. That's half a beer in. <laughs> we're not on um, YouTube. <laughs> no, we're not on YouTube. We'll get there. We'll yeah. get there, Bill. Yeah. Um, lots, lots more to go over this week. Um, we, should, we should introduce ourselves next. Yeah, yeah. I am Nick McGuire. I'm Bill Muck. I'm Phil Barker. We're, should we tell them why we're why we know? Like, we should tell people, Bill, that you're a professor of political science. You know what you're talking about. Well, no, but I, yes, I am a yeah. I'm a professor of political science at North Central College. Phil Barker, you. Uh, I'm a professor of political science at uh, Keene State College, and Nick, you're you're a professor of all hard, things hard knocks. <laughs> hard knocks. <laughs> I'm actually one of Bill's former students. Ooh. Um, so yeah, I have my degree in political science and global studies, which has helped me tremendously over the years. Thank you, yes. Bill. Yes, this yes. is as successful as I've gotten with it thus far. <laughs> uh, Nick is a master of all things technology related. This yes. wouldn't happen without Nick. And so. sarcasm related. Yes. So that's about yeah. all I bring to the table. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, lots to go over. Might as well start with the bizarre news conference from last week, which... I don't know if Wednesdays are necessarily a good day, because it always seems like the craziest shit ends up happening the minute we end our recording. It's so true. You know, that we, we finish and then something, and maybe that's just the nature of the Trump administration, mm-hmm. where whatever day you picked, there would be something the next day. Yes. But I felt like that on Thursday, like, man, it would be fun to think about or talk about on the podcast. And it's hard to remember. So we're talking about what happened a week ago Thursday. I mean, that feels like ages, in Trump time, that feels ages ago. Yeah. I mean, it's like asking somebody, you know, what did you have for dinner on President's Day when you were 11, There's like a weariness that sets in, like an exhaustion, uh, yeah. trying to process it all. And, and people, I remember early on in his administration, three weeks ago, we're talking about how you have to be careful because, you know, there's like crazy thing after crazy thing, and it all starts to seem normal. 
And it doesn't seem normal to me yet, but it, it's, keeping up with it is just like... No, yeah. it's like being in prison and getting used to it. That's just your life after a while. <laughs> right. yeah, you just accept it. I, I, did it feel, that, this is a great point, because it, to me this felt like a more quiet week, and I can't decide if it was... If there was less, or if, if like you said, I just adjusted to prison life. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because there was news. I mean, there was that whole, we'll probably talk about it later, that whole Ukrainian story where one of the individuals involved in that Ukrainian story had served a year in jail for stabbing somebody in the face with a broken margarita glass, right? I mean, so like... Well, hey, he was efficient <laughs> and, right. and resourceful. Right. Yeah. So, you have to be. No, but it does, yeah, the pace of things is, is intense. It's hard to, hard to keep up. But yes, the it, press conference. Yeah. It feels like I mean, we're a month in and it feels like... I'm exhausted. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. physically exhausted. So this press conference uh, was well over an hour. Yes. And the criticism of Trump before the press conference was that he was only taking questions from sympathetic news outlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that changed. To his credit, he took a gazillion questions mm-hmm. from uh, from the New York from Times. Fake news sources. Right. From, yeah. Everybody took questions. And it was historic in terms of... <laughs> I thought you were going to say hilarious. Which well, yeah, all hilarious. of the above. Afterwards, I was flipping through. I was actually watching it on my office computer and like yelling at the computer screen, like you know, to my colleagues. Did you see? You just and then afterwards, I was going through and I wanted to see the news reaction. NBC, CBS, ABC, like where the mainstream was on this, and they all were very careful to say that was interesting yes. and historic <laughs> and you know just very um, I don't know very unconventional. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like we, I, I, the second that I saw this come up after we were done with our recording, with the whole congressional black caucus thing. Yes. I just, and you, you know me, like mm. I'm trying to be even keel about this and be a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, giving him some yeah. benefit of the doubt. Once he said... Yeah, you seemed... He, to, that bothered you. <laughs> I, like, I just... it's It sounded like it did come straight from a Saturday Night yeah. Live sketch. Which I know so, we talked about ad nauseum. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so tell, explain what you're talking about. Yes. So during the press conference, a reporter asked Trump if he was going to meet with members of the CBC. An which, African-American reporter, yes. An African-American yeah. reporter, yeah. yes. Uh, which stands, obviously, yeah. for Congressional Black Caucus. Yeah. Trump did not seem to know what this group was. So he slyly <laughs> asked her, what? I'm, I'm sorry, as if he couldn't hear her. And I think she understood what was going on and said, are you going to meet with the Congressional Black Caucus? And he said something to the effect of, yes, I would love to meet with them. Uh, I've wanted to meet with them. Could you set up the meeting with them? <laughs> and then, and then my favorite. So I'll read the actual quote. I would. Let me tell you what. Do you want to set up the meeting? Do you want to set up the meeting? Are they friends of yours? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and at which point, you know, I, I felt terrible for her because, you know, she's going through this moment where she says, okay, I'm a journalist. I have to handle this. Yeah. And, and she basically said, I'm a journalist. I know some of them. Yeah. <laughs> I know some of them. She handled it very well. Even afterwards, she tweeted something about how I'm not a convener. I'm a journalist or yeah. whatever. Yes. Right. And they had apparently sent him a letter or yes. some sort of invitation yeah. asking to meet with him like a month prior to that. Correct? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. 
So that, I mean, for me, that kind of set the tone for the entire thing. And it's revealing because, I mean, one could argue that assuming that one black person knows all black people is a tad racist, but it, it's a unique type of Trump <laughs> racism, right? Because it's, yes. it is, it, it, he wants to interact with them, but he doesn't know that you're not supposed to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but just, I think I think his supporters loved him for it. Too. Oh, this we we should talk about that. Yeah, because yeah. you're right. There, there was a divide in this. Phil, um, <laughs> you're just giggling. No, I just like there's so again. There's so many levels just to that one. What's happening? We're in a high crime area here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're in Chicago. That's yes, right. That's right. Yeah. Trump's the neighborhood's going down the tubes fast. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. It's uh, uh, 70 degrees out on February 22nd. So yeah, we have to have the windows open. Yeah. You're gonna have to deal, people. <laughs> um, yeah. So many things in that in that one interchange exchange. I mean, we could talk about that one exchange, and that was like a, a list of a list of like 20 different things from that single press yes. conference that, that we oh, could God. talk about. Right. So. I, your, I mean, my favorite, and I think your, your favorite too, Bill, was maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not your favorite. But you, read, do you have the uranium quote? The quote about uh, yes, Clinton giving uranium to the Russians so they can make nuclear weapons? I have the quote, and I also, let me see if I can pull this up quickly. I have... Hey, that's neither been denied or proven. <laughs> right. Okay. So this was the question where, yeah, he was, uh, he was talking about uranium and uh, the danger, and he talked about Hillary Clinton uh, having sold 20% of the U.S. Iranian to Russia, which is, again, that was not accurate. But here is Donald Trump talking about... And, and, and it turns out the Russians had nuclear weapons before Hillary Clinton yes, yes. So he existed as a politician. So this is Donald Trump answer, asking and answering the question of uranium. You know what uranium is, right? It's a thing called nuclear weapons and other things, like lots of things are done with uranium, including some bad things. <laughs> right. Some bad things. Has there ever been a good thing that's been done with uranium? Right. And I love that it's just uranium is nuclear weapons. Right. <laughs> that's all you need. I, I, you didn't know that? You could just go get a chunk right. and then you're done. Yeah. I imagine that that is oftentimes how you teach your class, Bill, where you go in confident, saying, right. talking about some it's, topic. And it was like, this bad man. Did you realize... Oh crap! All I know is this one word. <laughs> right. I don't know anything about. We're, we're finishing class <laughs> early today. <laughs> no, I loved that. Uh, you know, the other thing I, it, I guess, to run with the racism theme, uh, when a Jewish reporter asked him a question about the rising anti-Semitic dynamic that's been playing out in the United States, uh, he cut the gentleman off, and then responded. So this is Trump. Quote, number one, I am the least anti-Semitic person that you've ever seen in your entire life. Number two, racism, the least racist person, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just, he's so unconventional. And, and in some ways, I was telling you guys beforehand, he's fantastic to follow because it's, it's so entertaining. But some of what he says is so, so troubling. Yes. Yeah. He also so said I, drugs I, are becoming cheaper than candy bars. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that... Candy bars are expensive. Does that say more about candy bars or about drugs? I'm not no. sure what the, how to feel about that. <laughs> the market for candy bars is down. <laughs> so I... So I... Maybe let's talk... I mean, there's other topics within this, right? I mean, we can talk about... Some of which we can come back to. The Mike Flynn stuff and this changeover in the NSA, the, the leaks and fake news and all of that. So there's other topics that he gets at. But I, I mean... It, he was 
my our reaction, I think, was to watch that press conference and think, dear Lord, like this guy is in charge of our country. And that seemed to be the reaction of a lot of people. But is it do you think there's an effectiveness to this? I mean, he wanted to get out and face the media. He wanted to. My understanding from reading about it is that he was essentially tired of the shots the media was taking at him and he wanted to address these issues straight on. I'll give him credit. He has balls for doing that. Yeah, yeah. You don't see, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that ever. No. Nope. Granted, what he said was completely ludicrous, but it was, it <laughs> was either here nor there. Unfiltered, unhinged, all yes. of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it was, you give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. He was as honest as I think Donald Trump could be. And I think to your point, Phil, so I was flipping through some of the main channels and watching their reaction, and then later watched the reaction on Fox News, and it was completely different. Uh, and I think this speaks to his supporters, how they reacted. They felt that this was unbelievable, that Trump took it to the media, Trump did exactly what he's supposed to do. So there, there really are two realities here. There's the reality that some of us watch this and say, this is, this is crazy. This is, we've never seen a president like this. And then there's another group that says, exactly, we've never seen this, a president like this. This is crazy. Like, we've this never is, seen a president. Right, and this like, is wonderful. This is exactly what the political system needs. And, and you're living in a world where people can watch the same thing and have two different realities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I have no follow-up. Well, I, I, <laughs> I come back to the idea that, uh, I don't know, I, this, this is maybe not at all accurate, but the way that I think about the world, or the United States these days at least, is that I sort of divide people into thirds. There's like a third of America that loves Trump, right? And no matter what he does, they're going to think he's great. Mm-hmm. There's a third of, of America that would hate Trump no matter what he did, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. there's a third of America that even if he, you know, brought about socialized medicine with a single-payer system would still hate Trump, right? Even though they're liberals. Um, but the, the the part in the middle is, is the part that I wonder about, right? They're the... That, sort of middle group is the one that's going to decide how Congress swings in the next election and if Trump gets reelected. And, um, he doesn't seem to be doing great with that group right now. And I don't, I don't see how that, so I see where that press conference played really well with that first third, the diehard supporters. I don't know that I see how it plays all that well with the middle third, or maybe they don't, maybe the, that middle third's not all that tuned into, I, I don't know, I don't know how, what to make of it. I think they're exhausted from hearing from the other two thirds of the country. <laughs> that could be. And you think about, so part of that middle third you're highlighting, Phil, is is the the more moderate Republicans, right? You're more traditional Republican, who you feel like they're putting up with Trump because they think it, as long as that happens, we're going to get tax breaks. You know, the, the legislative agenda we want to see get pushed through will happen, and we have to kind of hold our nose with Trump. But how long will they do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, McCain's had enough. He's clearly... Uh, yeah, but McCain also hasn't voted against it. That's, that's a great point. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there, I think there's another group of Republicans that is also interesting, which are the ones that hate Trump. They don't think like, they don't like what Trump is doing. They don't think he's conservative. But they also hate the Democrats, right? right? So they're yeah. also going to, when it comes time for the next election or next congressional election, aren't going to be, you know, they're still going to vote Republican. They can they can dislike Donald Trump, but that doesn't mean they're going to vote of course. The, Democrat. Right? Yeah. The crazy enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. <laughs> but when you see some of the reaction on the left, and some of that I think the left reaction is justified to say, like, this what is going on. He's unhinged. And over, over the top, whether it's protests or whatever that, however that expresses itself, you have a lot of moderate Republicans saying, I'd rather be with Trump than be with that group. Uh, so I don't know if all of this is politically effective. 
I think it's authentic though. You're seeing groups yeah. just respond in ways that they feel they have to respond. Yeah. I saw somebody on Twitter, and I should remember who when I when I reference Twitter, I should remember who tweeted this. I know. Who knows who it was? We're a post-factual world. Right. So you don't need to know. I've heard something from someone. Yeah, so exactly. yeah. The point this random person who might have been important and might not be, the point they made was that uh, that they were saying that, um, that they thought that both Donald Trump, essentially the, the point they were making was if Donald Trump would tone it down, would like rein in just the craziness a little bit, mm. he could be remarkably effective. Yes. And, and that, that the, the point they were making was that Donald Trump sort of underestimates the extent to which he or, or underrealizes at least the extent to which he could be effective if he would just tone it down a little bit. Mm. And that Democrats also underestimate the extent to which he could be effective if he just toned it down. If he would just yes. sound a little more sane or surround himself with people who could help kind of polish some of the rough edges off. All right. A lot of the stuff that he's pushed for, I think he could get through and would be not unpopular. So you made a good point there. The Democrats probably know, or at least in some implicit way, understand that he could be effective if he toned it down. What mm -hmm. is the incentive for them allowing that to happen? Oh, point? not at all. Right? They yeah. want him to look as crazy as possible. Right. Sure. <laughs> right. right. And, and he is, no, I think you're right, Phil, and I, I don't, I'm try, I've been trying to think of the way to describe him, because George W. Bush, as time went by, became kind of cute, right? I mean, he was authentic, people liked him, he felt that he was genuine. I don't know if Trump could become that type of character, because he's, he's so vile in some ways, right? But there's an authenticity about him, and it, I mean, to circle back to the, the CBC comment, it may have been racist, but you got the sense that he really wanted that meeting. And, right. and, mm -hmm. and so that's it's a complicating thing. But you're right. With a couple tweaks, he could be way more politically effective. Uh, yeah. So, and we've talked about this in just about every episode at this point. I was under the impression that he would have a team behind him that does have the wherewithal to know how the political system works. That clearly has not panned out over the past month. Right. So what... What are the changes that need to be made to get him to that point where he does become an effective president that's slightly less batshit crazy? Yeah. <laughs> well, so the, I mean, this is kind of a this is an interesting. I don't know. A, not, is it, I don't think it's a is it a catch twenty two? Uh, this is a quandary that the Trump a administration. Quandary. Has. First Ooh. time that word's been used on the podcast. <laughs> we don't so use. Over two syllable words after about halfway. Yes, through. so you're good. Yeah, use it now. <laughs> the idea um, of surrounding himself with like good, qualified, you know, politically savvy people makes a lot of sense. But now a month of craziness is working against him, and this is what you see with the NSA thing, right? He was trying to get. I mean, he he talked to some fantastically qualified people to do to serve in the as the national security advisor several of whom, most famously Harward, um, turned it down. Harward's turned it down and described the job offer as a shit sandwich, right? Like, I mean, and, and I think the, the problem is that there's a craziness that people are afraid to get into. And the other problem is something that we were talking about a little bit before we went on air, which is that now, because of some of the shifts and whatnot that have happened, I think that Bannon and Miller and some of those guys have the power Right. And they're they're effectively keeping people out. So one of the things that um, part of the reason why Harvard described it as a shit sandwich was that they weren't 
part of the reason they had a hard time getting someone to take the NSA job was because the, the new national security advisor is not going to be given total control over personnel. So they were dictating to this new person, yeah, you can come in, but you know, the assistant, you know, you're the, the secondary people, right? We've already chosen them and you've got to live with them. And so for both Harward and Petraeus, so David Petraeus was another one that was rumored for that position, like you said, uh, they said, no, this is not acceptable. Uh, and it makes the choice of H.R. McMaster, who was the ultimate guy who was selected for that national security advisor position, kind of interesting because he accepted that role. And I'm guessing under the same constraints to say we want some some influence in terms of who's going to be your guy. But he's the kind of guy that he seems like an intellectual. He seems like somebody who's not an ideologue the way that Bannon or, or Stephen Miller might be. He seems like somebody who's going to push back. And yet he still accepted that position. That For me, that was yeah. curious. He's. I'm thrilled with, I mean, from yeah. my limited knowledge of him, he, he seems fantastic. But it seems like a, a disaster in the waiting in some ways because he's um, he's written a book on what went wrong in Vietnam in which his, his, his main criticism is that the, the military and the generals didn't essentially speak back to the politicians strongly enough and oppose bad policies. Yeah. Um, he part of his job has been on a task force looking into Russian involvement in Ukraine. Like all of these things about him seem like he great. He's a great choice for the moment for the NSA, but they also seem like I can't see how it's going to work out with him and Donald Trump, right? Mm. Or or him and Bannon, right? No, this this book, the the dereliction of duty, looking at Vietnam and the Johnson administration, and basically, yeah, like you said, the the book argues that the Joint Chiefs of Staff didn't push back enough against bad political decision making. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at this administration, like in some ways he's the perfect choice. Yep. He's the guy who's going to speak truth to power to say to Donald Trump, no, this is a bad idea. Yep. He seems to fall in that camp of uh, Rex Tillerson, Mattis at defense, uh, Kelly maybe at Homeland Security. You're seeing this group as being one side of the administration, which which feels like a more traditional Democrat or Republican. I think you're right. McMaster is is liked within Democrat and Republican circles, and then you have this other side of of, of Bannon and Stephen Miller and Gorka, uh, Sebastian Gorka, who are, are bomb throwers who want to blow up the system. And how this plays out, I, I'm not sure. Well, the same ones are losing, right? I mean, so Madison. Yes, Madison Tillerson are on planes flying around the country, uh, around the world, trying to, like, That's calm true. people. <laughs> yes. So, like, Mattis is giving speeches in Iraq, Iraq about how we're not taking their oil. Oh, yes. Tillerson's going to the EU, trying to convince the EU that we are, that NATO is actually, you know, something that we stand by. There are, like, Donald Trump, so Tillerson found <laughs> out about Donald Trump's, like, backing away from the two-state solution. Tillerson was on an airplane when Donald Trump made this makes this announcement. Tillerson finds out about it when he gets where he's going. So, like, I, I don't I think like these people, if if I'm Mattis or Tillerson, my like willingness to do this crap only goes so far, right? They're 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 old enough to be retired. They're wealthy enough to be retired. They could be laying on a beach in Tahiti somewhere, <laughs> like. And so why like why would I consider continue to work for a guy who doesn't who's keeping me out of the loop? All I'm having to do is run around like unprepared because I don't know what policy is trying to sort of calm, you know, uproars as they as they occur. I, it, I don't know. Maybe I, I, it makes me I'm happy that those same people are in the administration, but I don't see them as having actually any access or power at this point. Two things. One, I think the motivation for them staying around 
is exactly what you said. I, I'm guessing that McMaster, Tiller, maybe not Tillerson, but definitely Mattis are afraid of what this other group would do. Right, so they yep. feel like they're the wall against which, you know, sanity rests. Uh, right. I've also heard them described as like the guys that follow the horses or elephant cleaning up the poop. Right, this is <laughs> this is what they do. Because you're right. Because Tillerson, not Tillerson, uh, Mattis, when you was traveling around, and he had to answer this question about whether we were going to steal the Iraqi oil. And this yes. is something that Trump. I thought Trump had maybe said this once because he said it when he gave the speech at the CIA. He has said this many times, like many, many, many times. And so he was, of course, asked this, like, is is the United States going to steal Iraqi oil? And I felt bad for him in this moment because he looks tired and he says, no, no, the United States is not going to steal your oil. Uh, and then then they have to ask the follow up question. Well, is your president not being honest with? I mean, Mike Pence got that question, too. Who do we believe? Do we believe Donald Trump or do we believe Mike Pence? Uh, they're they're in a difficult position. Yeah. So yeah. I, go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead. No, 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 please go. Please go. Please go. Please go. <laughs> I mean, in line with this is also there. There, there are these emerging patterns as well. Um, so we we're talking about him trying to fill the NSA position and the insanity with it. But there have been several people who have been fired, who have been like, "Pack up your boxes. We're walking you to the door." Because it it emerged that like a year ago they wrote an article critical. Of Donald Trump. So anyone like there's this weird like political loyalty test that is also being put in place, mm. uh, which is troubling. Right. Like I understand why you would want people to work with for you who, uh, you know, support the policies. But, you know, if anything that history has taught us, it's that surrounding yourself by yes men is not is not a way to create ideal policy. Right. Like, yeah. And I think some of this feeds into what you were talking about, the behind the scenes bureaucratic knife fighting. Where so one of the stories is that Elliot Cohen was rumored to be uh, for he was at state right Tillerson wanted him at Secretary of State as a deputy, yep, and Bannon didn't like him because he was a threat to Bannon's power in terms of his his knowledge of the bureaucracy, and so Bannon showed Trump an article in which Cohen had been critical of Trump, and then Trump was like, well that guy's out. I mean what a what a fantastically Machiavellian move by Bannon to say. Let me play to Trump's ego as a way of keeping power or keeping a challenge on my power away. I mean, it was, it's it's classic power politics. What, like realistically, just from the most basic standpoint that you could possibly take, what is the advantage of keeping him in that position at this point? Steve Bannon? Yeah. Oh, boy. this is. I think Trump trusts Bannon. I think on some level he shares that worldview. I mean, Trump's sure. really, I don't think, you know, it's clear Trump is not an intellectual in the sense of, of read a lot, but you he... You can't say that. Yeah, okay. It's, I mean, he's a, he's a conspiracy theorist, right? And so he's an Infowar guy. He's a Breitbart guy. And so Bannon is from Breitbart. So there's that connection there. Right. Stephen Miller, another guy from Breitbart. Actually, and, and Sebastian Gorka, all of these guys, a lot of them are Breitbart guys. And so that feels like his home turf. Mm. If he gets rid of those guys, he's got to deal with a whole new group of people who he doesn't trust. Uh, but it sounds like he, the other appointments that he has made are the opposite of yes, those people. Are sensible? So yeah. What the hell is that? I, you know, it's it's such a weird thing. There's no consistency. You're you're seeing two camps: the rational, rational, reasonable, traditional Republican appointees, right. exemplary people in a lot yes. of different positions, and then he has these fucking nut jobs yeah, right. surrounding him. 
and like I, I don't know like how those pieces connect and how it's going to be effective. And this is way. why I know this is a great point. And this is why Phil, when you said that the the nut jobs are winning, I felt like when he appointed H.R. McMaster, I felt like he's another one of the the sensible guys. Right. And I didn't because Flynn wasn't. Flynn was one of the nut jobs, mm-hmm. and he shifted that position, the National Security Advisor, from is nut job a real word? Is that it we, is not okay? Yeah. We'll it's, run with that. Yeah, I, I'm pondering that, but uh, <laughs> he went from nut job to sensible <laughs> in that one important position. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think that they are they're window dressing, right? Like Ooh. they look good, but they're not. They're not like so. I, I mean, I think if who you appoint to these positions doesn't really matter if you're not going to give them any power. So, right. Yeah. Like you get, and, and like I, the, the, the list of who Trump went through for national security advising advisor was sort of telling because it was general after general, after general, after general, after general, right? Like he any, likes the general. <laughs> oh, we should okay. get the, you know, the general at auto insurance. You think they <laughs> would sponsor <laughs> us? That'd be great. <laughs> I'm sorry, Phil. Right now. Yeah, hashtag the general. Go ahead, Phil. <laughs> I think what that shows to some extent is a lack of creativity about from Trump about who can serve as a national security advisor. Sure. But, um, I, I and I think that's partly because he he wants someone who looks good, right? Like that makes him look good. Yeah. And so, and who you know, if you're not going to listen to the national security advisor, then it doesn't matter. Um, but <laughs> Steve like, Bannon's going to Steve Bannon is the de facto national security advisor, and, right? State, you know, Secretary of State, and all. And I think the other thing about why, you know, why does he keep Steve Bannon around, is that I think Bannon's really smart about this. Trump likes to be liked, right? So I think if Bannon is smart, and like you can heap praise on Trump, and and like if if Trump sees Bannon as loyal and like sympathetic and friendly and devoted, then I think that's that's how you win over Trump. So. The, the Politico, I was telling you guys right beforehand, Politico just released a story today that was talking about how the people around Trump have found the way to, like, part of the reason why you've seen fewer crazy tweets from him over the last week is that they've become very careful about what he sees. So, in other <laughs> words, they limit the newspaper articles that come before him. They limit what he watches on TV, and they have turned to what are known to be friendly um, uh, news sources. So he watches Fox News and Breitbart, reads Breitbart and stuff, because he needs this basically steady, healthy dose of like reaffirmation. This we we appreciate how dangerous and troubling all of this is, right? I mean, we don't have to. We don't have to. Okay, good. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm the same way. Like, I need constant reaffirmation. <laughs> Obviously, that's why you do this. <laughs> but, but but I'm not in charge of the United States, right? Like, I, I you know, like, so I mean, it is it is troubling. But I think if that's true, right? If if his if if the primary kind of explanatory variable for Trump's behavior is essentially praise, right? Or, or needing to be liked. That explains a lot of stuff. That could explain why he keeps Bannon around. It could, I mean, it certainly explains um, why he's holding a campaign rally less than a month into his four-year term, right? Like he, he wants, for, and it explains why prior to that press conference and to some extent since, he call, he doesn't call on the New York Times or CNN. He calls on you know, friendly media outlets when he does press conferences. And so he doesn't, 
He doesn't like being criticized, right? The, the other important thing is Bannon. So Bannon has created this uh, strategic initiatives group, which basically it sounds like it's a counter to the national security advisor position where it's a handful of individuals who are helping advise foreign policy decisions. And I think Miller, Stephen Miller is probably on that. Gorka's <laughs> definitely on that. What other members of the Illuminati are in that group? Right, exactly. And, and it's, again, to go back to your question, Nick, I think Trump looks at Bannon and likes his worldview. And then he looks at a guy like Stephen Miller, who we haven't talked much on the podcast, but two weeks ago, Stephen Miller really emerged as somebody who went on all the Sunday morning talk shows and he's the guy willing to back up trump he'll make the argument about fake news uh this sebastian gorka same thing these are the ideologues who will go out there and they will attack the news media and you'll like they almost have like a little smirk to what they're saying like you know they want to tear them down they want to burn them down Mm -hmm. and i think on some level trump appreciates that these guys no matter what it is will defend trump no matter what absurd thing he says they'll get out there and say like no you're wrong trump is right drugs are cheaper than candy bars (laughs) (laughs) well steve so we, we can talk more about that later i mean i just i feel like i need to say that stephen miller looks like someone you would get from central casting for like a classic like corporate villain or something. Yes, yes. He just no smile, straight face, kind of a smirk, like he yeah. knows what he's doing. Like yeah. He just he just he was terrible on TV. Like regardless of what you think of what he was saying. Yeah. Did not exude. He did not. He did not create a sense of confidence. <laughs> but my my favorite part about Stephen Miller. So he did all the Sunday morning shows two weeks ago. So George Stephanopoulos was pressing him. Actually, this is a New Hampshire issue. This they were they were speaking about the alleged voter fraud in New Hampshire. Now, if you guys don't know, Phil is in New Hampshire and has you know conducted extensive voter high. fraud. Yes. And so so Stephanopoulos is saying. You know, Miller, there's literally no evidence of this. And Miller looks back and is just like, like you said, Phil, his face is like, I don't give a shit, right? You know, (laughs) I'm going to continue to run and argue that buses and buses were coming in. Um, Yeah, and and I think Trump looks at that and says, this is a guy, unlike Sean Spicer, who goes out and defends me all the way to the mat. And I think he likes that. All right. So, I I mean, that's probably a good transition point anyways. Do we want to talk about his... Stance on the media? Yeah, Trump's? Yeah. Fake news? Do you want to go into that? Sure. Uh, so what got attention this week was his uh, his tweet about... Uh, let me see if I can find it, the exact tweet. Um, yeah, basically he was suggesting that NBC, CBS, ABC, the New York Times, the Washington Post are all fake news, and in particular, enemies of the people. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us have been texting back and forth. And at the end of every single text this week, I've, I've argued that Phil or Nick or somehow are enemies of the people um, and that Trump should look into them and deport yes. them. But um, I'd love to go back to Italy. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so this this caused a ripple throughout, I think, the the American system internationally, this, this direct attack that the media, the free press, is an enemy of the people – of all the things Trump has said, that this was the most problematic for me, uh, attacking the idea of the media as a whole as an enemy of the people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's it's a disturbing thing that yeah. anyone would say that. I think the counter to that is, and I, I was reading an article actually before we came here, about the media coverage and just the the massive hype behind Trump and how he's the what was it he has the greatest amount of free press and advertising 
uh, of mm-hmm. the next thousand people currently that get free advertising in the media. Right? Some some yeah. number like eight hundred and fifty million or something like that in the past month. Wow, something like yeah. that. Um, and and they they made the point they go yeah I mean this is a historic moment but at the same time how can the media keep up with this and their entire thing is just constantly they post something that gets people angry and that gets reposted and it just it snowballs from there so like I can kind of see where he's coming from in that in that vein like in if you're talking about the least crazy point that he could be making i can see that being understandable he feels attacked he does i think he genuinely feels attacked i don't even think that he necessarily feels attacked i think he does feel attacked Mm -hmm. but i do think he thinks that it's a legitimate threat to the the informative nature that the media is supposed to have with the american people right so in what way is the media not informative or in what like i don't understand like I understand where people could be grumpy and think that the news media has a liberal bias or whatever, but I I, I don't, how does that make them an enemy of the people or uninformative or any of that stuff? I, I, all right, uninformative is probably not the right word. I'd probably say that the, what they are posting is the most salacious and titillating things that they could possibly do, which realistically then people end up taking upon themselves to then repost and putting their own spin on it which makes it 50 million times more anger inducing yeah. and you know but, protest creative for this lack is, of a better this term. is what lets us do our podcast i know that's not my point hey if that went away and we didn't have a reason to do this podcast i would be okay with it <laughs> what's the alternative i, I mean i like... i say we get rid of social media completely i think oh, it's the most that... evil fucking thing on the planet <laughs> Subscribe yeah, I, to I, us and like us on Facebook, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I, no, I, don't, I don't disagree that social media has, has been um, destabilizing or, you know, maybe has eroded some of it. But that's different from the media, right? That's different from mean? people who are trained journalists who, yeah. are, who are investigating stories and reporting on stories. All right, you're telling me that all of the stories that have been out there about Trump, and realistically, that's 99% of what the media is yeah. putting out there. They're all necessary to be out in the media right now. And I'd probably say half, if not more, are opinion-based or editorial and not fact like it's not they're not stories they're they're just pundits that line between what is objective journalism and what is opinion journalism i think trump has forced a shift in that because it's not so i i think about the issue of of trump being truthful Sure. He's not always truthful. Agreed. Yes. And so then if you're the New York Times or the Washington Post and you have to respond on this, what word do you use? Mm. Do you say he's lying? Mm. Or do you say it's, uh, what's the, like, talk about it, uh, I'm trying to think of the terms they use, false information or whatever it might be. If you say he's lying, that has a different implication, right? That it's intentional. Sure. Intention. Is that a word? No. No. Intentional. Intentional. <laughs> I've started my second beer. Yes, we're almost halfway there. You can't, <laughs> yes. you can't try that much. Uh, so, so he makes that he forces the media to move in that direction. Okay. I mean, I, I think about so there was that one interaction where at the beginning of the to go back to the press conference, he talked about that he had the largest electoral win since Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of this press conference last Thursday, he says that. 
Somebody from NBC News says, Mr. President, the facts don't support that. Right. In those particular situations, completely agree. Right. They sound, I mean, not the media, he sounds like an idiot. Because then you go back and forth and they say, well, Mr. President, that's not true. Like, you know, Barack Obama had more. And he says, well, it was the Republicans. Well, no, actually, actually, H.W. Bush had more. And then he'll come back with, well, um, I've seen it around, right? I've seen that information around. Hey, it's around. It's around. He's not wrong. And then, so so that, yeah, I've seen that information around, but it's been said. And then, you know, then the report are forced to say, well, we have to push back on this. If we're, if the, if the media is going to be anything, it has to be truth to power at this point. Mm-hmm. So I, here's a, here's another issue that I think um, complicate or I don't, not complicates, but the media is like when I think when people hear the media, they think of or when Republicans or Trump supporters hear the media, they think of the media they don't like, right? The media is not this like monolithic unified thing. It's this like, you know, Donald Trump. I don't think would claim that Fox News or Breitbart are part of our enemies of the American people, but they're part of the media, right? The yeah. media. Oh, I agree. It's this broad spectrum of of political perspectives. Of I mean, there's conservative media, there's liberal media, there's you know, sort of central media. There's all different levels of media, and and when you're attacking. It's one thing to say, I don't, I mean, there have been times where presidents have sort of attacked a single institution. You know, even even Barack Obama had his fight with Fox News at one point in which he right. was yes. refusing to talk to them or whatever. And there no. have been, a, you know, the Bush administration had their fights with the New York Times. Yeah, I, I think they're equal opportunity offenders on both sides of the political spectrum. I think yeah. what you're seeing, I mean, obviously he is the antithesis of what the left wants in power right now so they're going to be more vehement about that but like we've talked about again and again it's it's such a fever pitch right now that it is causing some like you can't say some of this stuff is not irrational but if you're if you're so here's here's the thing it's not about whether it's irrational or not it's about whether it's true or not right so I think part of the and, and I know I know you're rolling your eyes, but let me. No, I'm not rolling my eyes. No, I'm actually looking at the ceiling. Seriously, I'm not rolling my eyes that time. I think part of the part of the headbutting going on is that um, from whichever perspective you're coming from, whether you're a conservative, you know, whether you're Fox News or MSNBC, I, I don't even like broadcast media. Let's talk no. about you know print media. If you're right. working for the New York Times or the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal, you like if you've gone through journalism, like the traditional like real journalists, right? They come from this long heritage of making sure you have resources, fact-checking everything, double, you know, go having second and third sources to back up and verify claims before you put them in print. So I think, you know, even if you're putting out an opinionated story, right? Even if you're writing a story that says Donald Trump is a criminal or whatever, in order to do that, you have to have, you know, you're doing essentially a research project to back sure. up those claims yeah. Yeah. before you put it out there. I, yeah. And I think Donald Trump is the exact opposite of that. Donald Trump is someone who says what he wants to say when he says it. I know it's awesome. And regardless <laughs> of like, the, you know, it's like I've heard this or someone has told me this, right? It's not, he, he says stuff and then kind of goes out and finds the people and the evidence to sort of support his claim. And right. so I think part of it is the part of the battle that's emerging is that Trump says what he feels and mm. then the media says but that's not true mm. and in that so you have this like this 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 at odds relationship between you know the sort of verify fact check everything and 
essentially, which I, I don't think Donald Trump is alone in this. There's, I think, part of what makes Trump popular and what brought him to power is the idea that there are a lot of people who are like, don't don't invalidate it just because I feel this way, right? Like right. this is, I'm threatened by immigrants or whatever. Right. I don't want your facts. This is how I feel. Yeah. And so if, I, that's yeah. part of the tension. No, I, I agree. There, When you're talking about the major media outlets, I think he's gone too far in saying that they're fake news and they don't know what the hell they're talking about and they're, you know, he's discounting their, their obvious, you know, fact-based evidence that they have. What I do have a problem with, probably more than anything, is these other outside institutions that, you know, we're talking about Vox and Slate and, you know, people going on Reddit or reporting on a single mm-hmm. tweet or something like that that ends up yeah. turning into something that then gets reported on in yeah. major yeah. media outlets. But that is a, that's a huge problem well, to and me. I, and I think that's an important distinction to make. Uh, we may be sympathetic to something on the left or the right. It may reinforce our, our political views. And that, that's just, I think that, but that's different than, I think, what Phil said about New York Times, Washington Post, sure. the Wall Street Journal, who, who I think this is the heyday, and we will look back 25 years from now to say, like, those institutions are doing fantastic journalism, if only because Trump has raised the ante. So Trump is willing to, to push that line and to question reality and fake news, and so then the burden falls back on the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal right. to have eight or nine sources and say, like, no, Mr. President, like, your national security advisor did talk right. to the Russian if, ambassador. If that's the result of it, yeah. I'm all for no, it. And I, that's I, fantastic. Yeah. And I hope that's actually what happened. Right. And the, the other thing I would say is that, so Trump is playing the victim here to say that the media is right. against me. I bet if we could talk to every ex-president, you know, w- with the media, they would all say the same thing. Yep. And, you know, this week, you know, not, I'm, it would, they would not say that they're the enemy of the American people. They would all say the media bullied them or harassed exactly them or right, and that's and that's what's different because there's a couple of things. One, you know, a couple of examples that were talked about this week. One was uh, JFK Kennedy had this interview after the Bay of Pigs, like the disaster that was the Bay of Pigs. The media piled on him. He did this interview, and somebody asked him, you know, is the media? He didn't say the enemy of the people, but basically Kennedy said it's something you have to deal with. I'm not always pleased with them. I don't think it's good coverage. But then he went on to say, like, this is important for the American democracy. Mm-hmm. And that's what other presidents have said. This, Trump's comment, drifts into Nixonian territory, except for the fact that Nixon said all this crazy stuff in secret, right. whereas Trump I, is saying it out in public. And, okay. It drifts more into well, He into also hated ter- the Jews, though, so we're going to... Right, no, this, there's, there's some parallels. Yeah, that's a whole separate issue. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I saw a lot of even conservatives and former like Bush administration people raising the alarm about is that it drifted beyond even Nixon into like, when yeah. you, like the phrase, the, the phraseology of the enemy of the people starts to come close to things that people like Stalin and Mussolini yes. said, right? Because you want to, and Mao, I, I see you cringe, right? I'm not saying <laughs> no, that. that time I rolled my eyes. And I'll, <laughs> I'll get to my point as soon as you're but done with yours. Where, Go ahead. This is where again, back to what we were talking about earlier with that press conference playing to different people. I think Trump, Supporters probably see that that the they're the enemy of the American people, and you know if you're anti-elitist and populist and all that, they they eat that up. People on the other side, uh, like that that sends up all sorts of alarms about because I mean again the, the 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 danger is that whether you like the media or not, they hold people accountable, yeah. right? Um, sure. Uh, even even if some of the stuff they do is fluff or unnecessary at the core of it their their job is to hold people accountable right. and if you start to undermine them or challenge them that's that's the road that you don't want to go 
down. Right. right? That's the danger. So, and I've heard this, I don't know how many times over the past week or two, I'm, I'm certainly, we've talked about it before. When you hear people say that, you know, we need to be watchful and mindful of what's going on because this is, you know, this is how dictatorships form and it's borderline fascist and the, realistically, as much as he despises the media, he's done nothing to curtail their right to report on what they're reporting on. What I do see that is indicative of fascism or dictators or authoritarian regimes is getting people to think that they are constantly under threat from a government Mm -hmm. that then makes them turn around and go into the streets every fucking day for no good reason. That (laughs) is a problem to me. I would say that's a couple of things there. One, I think he's, I don't, again, I'm... Say it, Phil. Roll your eyes. I've said this. I many- like how you took my my warning that this is the, the the. I tried to be very soft and say that this is like the beginning of the road you go down, and I like how you took that and turned it around to say that the real fascists are the women's marchers. No, the, no. You know what? Let's say we go down the women's march. Now. You want to bring up Donna Hilton? I swear to God, I'll bring up Donna Hilton. I think he's being. I'm gonna ignore that. <laughs> I think he's being more subtle because you're right. It would be easier, not easier. It would be more dangerous if he directly attacked the press in terms of their ability to spread these stories. Sure. What he does, this this idea of fake news and why it's so effective, is it gets everybody to question whether there is truth anymore, right? It's, well, one side says this, the other side says that. So Fox News and Breitbart and InfoWars, right? I mean, InfoWars may get press credentials to go to the, the White House. That This is a big deal. They say one thing, the New York Times says another, well, we don't know, there's no truth. And that's even more effective mm-hmm. in terms of undermining the idea of truth and objective reality. Um, and that's that's concerning. Uh, you know, this week in that press conference, which I know we keep coming back to, but at one point they were asking Trump about the leaks and the, you know, the, the ultimate firing of Matt Flynn. And they said, was this truth? Are the leaks true? Why did you fire him? And he had this comment where he said, the leaks are real. The news is fake, and my head was like, I, I, I don't, I don't even know what that means, right? Yeah, the leaks are one. real. Mm-hmm. The news is fake. Right. It can't be true. That, those two statements can't be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it, let's let's try. I'll, give, give me a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. Just give me a minute. All right. So well, Nick's think. Nick's think. Nick thinks. Uh, I brought up Nixon, and I've got a quote. So Nixon said many of the same things that Trump is saying, but he said it. In close quarters with 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 Kissinger, and so you know the, this other thing that's been passed around was his him and Kissinger and Nixon having this conversation where Nixon talks at length about the press is the enemy. Quote: The press is the enemy. The press is the enemy. The establishment is the enemy. The professors, Phil, he's pointing at you. Nixon says the professors are the enemy. Professors are the enemy. We know that. Write that on the blackboard a hundred times and never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say this, but the only reason I'm doing this is so I can keep tabs on you guys. Oh, I know. <laughs> incriminating evidence. <laughs> You're reporting. Yes. So, it, so, but the, but it's a big distinction, the fact that Nixon would say this to Kissinger, probably after like six Manhattans, uh, but not say it publicly, but Trump is doing it publicly now, and that, that's an important difference. A, a month into his, into yeah. his presidency, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, Nixon was doing this stuff, you know, five years into his presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Right at the at the end, yes, 
Yeah. So I don't, you know, Nick, this is, I know that you like get, you are, again, you cringe or roll your eyes. When no, I realistically, face. like we, we obviously have different, differing points of view, but it's not that I don't think that most of your points are 100% valid. You right. know, I, I think there, there is a, an alternate viewpoint that a lot of people, especially, you know, Art and Trump supporters are really falling behind. And it's something worth sure. talking about. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And I, so that, this is something that I, and I feel like we talked about this, uh, you know, five episodes ago or something, yeah. but it's something that I really, I really wrestle with. Right. Because like, I, you know, Trump, I, Trump has done things or has gone further in the direction of that sort of authoritarian. So if we, if we put together a spectrum, you know, of like, I don't know, authoritarianism, Trump has has done a few things that sort of move him further down that spectrum than most other U.S. presidents, mm -hmm. right? And so that the debate that I have in my head is again, you, you don't want to be alarmist because you undermine yourself when later on you really need to raise alarms about yes. presidential behavior. The boy who cried like, Nazi. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. You have to be but careful. At the right. same time. How far do you let him go down that spectrum before you, you know, like part of it is important. Part, there's there's the argument that it's important to point out these things, right, that 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 reeks of authoritarianism or whatever early on, because he has shown Trump has shown, um, you know, a, a, not a willingness or a, a tendency when pushed on these things to sort of back away from them. Right. So there, there's an argument to be said that it's important to to call this administration out on these things when they do it mm -hmm. and it, it's not because they're hitler right but you, you it's it's part of that you're like the sheepdog right who's like keeping them in line like you're kind of working sure. yeah. working to, to to push back whenever necessary and so i that i don't how do you how do you how do i as a you know more liberal person how do i make those critiques or raise those points without you know pissing people like you off right like that that's a hard like me <laughs> why yeah. like me you've been othered <laughs> <laughs> no and, and it's like it's a debate i have i don't i, I wonder about no what, and realistically <laughs> and that's that's again and we said this last time this is why we do what we're doing mm -hmm. because these debates need to happen in a measured normal way mm -hmm. Probably with some sort of alcohol involved. Yeah. I don't know about normal. I don't know if you try to do it <laughs> No, but I, I, I mean, this is realistically, I, I do agree with you that there needs to be some sort of check and people pushing back on it. And what I keep going back to and what I've thought about a lot over the past week is with the, the immigration ban or moratorium that we're talking about, there was so much backlash and so much institutional recourse that happened immediately after it was instituted that gave me hope that the institutions and people in general yeah. know that there there are checks and balances we have a functioning mm -hmm. democracy in that way and that that really gave me some hope for all the shit that's going on right so, but there's also fear of this mob mentality i totally get the, yeah. the sort of both sides yeah i i understand that no, I, I, I've said many times that I think the Trump administration is a great threat to democracy, but it's also an opportunity for those other institutions to, to push back. And the other thing I would say, to, to Phil's earlier point about them responding to this pushback, I think Trump himself might be one of the few actors who's 
sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Bannon or Miller, like, you're, you're not going to have a conversation where you say to them, like, you've gone too far, you know, Sebastian Gorka or, you know, Miller or Bannon. But but Trump, I, I think on some level gets that, if only because he's worried about his popularity. And that's, yeah. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think others in the administration are more sensitive to that as well. But you have seen when there's been pushback, they respond. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the democratic process at work, and you're right. right. That that makes me feel better as well. Yeah, that that, des- that desperate need to be liked that we talked about earlier is both what makes him sort of crazy and unstable, but it's also what makes what what yeah, it's yeah. his weakness at the same time. It's what yeah. keeps him in line. It could be a very good tool if he needs to be liked by someone other than his his fervent, you know. Yeah. Uh, which, know, the right which is a really that's a really crazy thing to think about right no, so that's, but it's I, powerful yeah, yeah i think this yeah and, and i think we've tiptoed around it this is regardless of what happens over the next four years yeah. or however long he's in there 18 months i'm okay is that, <laughs> no, is that the over under no i don't know <laughs> what's the big on this yeah. um no i i think this could be very very reaffirming mm-hmm. for the american people to realize what the institutions are capable of and what checks and balances really mean for a functioning representative democracy. I I think there's some positivity coming out of, for lack of a better term, a shit sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, this is this is the this is a test of the American democracy. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's probably the biggest test it's faced in a long time, maybe mm-hmm. since Vietnam. And as terrified as I am of some elements of the Trump administration, I'm also excited to see how the democracy responds. And it's also possible that it will shake loose some of the other elements of the democracy that have been complacent. Yeah. And and not just liberal forces, but I think indifferent uh, an indifferent public. So mm-hmm. that that's also an opportunity. Yes. I yeah. would also assume that he is going to uh, take credit for that as soon as his um, administration is done. Yes. He's saying this was his plan all along. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're, you're talking about this being the biggest test for democracy. I, you know, you come across, people talk about like... I've been asked before, like, if you could pick any era of history to live in, what would it be? And I, I've always, you know, there's been a part of me the that has always found, people. like, this. The, what'd you say? So the one without people. Yeah. <clears throat> the post, a post-apocalyptic future is what Nick chooses. Yeah, whatever. Or uh, whatever. We, could, I, I, or we could Skype you in for all podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, um, I've always found, I, there's a part of me that has always been intrigued by the 60s, right? Because it's total turmoil, but there's so much happening, right? Like, you've got Vietnam, and you've got the Civil Rights Movement, and you've got, you know, like, all of these major figures, Martin Luther King and, and JFK, and, and so I, there's something about that has always been sort of appealing, like, to be alive when, like, history yeah. was happening. And I kind of feel like we're in an era like that, mm. and it sucks. Really? <laughs> oh, I, I have a very different reaction to it. I, I, I feel like I'm excited... I'm excited, and this is going to sound nerdy, to be a political scientist in this era. Oh, nerd. Nerd. (laughs) If only because for most of my life as a political scientist, I felt I've had very little to say that's actually of consequence. Certainly Uh, not when I was here. (laughs) (laughs) But now I feel like I I actually get what's happening. And I, I feel like those of us who are interested in this and have these conversations can make a difference. And, and I feel like living through history is exciting, right? Uh, and no, I, I'm less 
troubled than you are, Phil. Yeah, more than that, we can be alive now and be a part of it and not maybe get our skulls caved in by the police. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. I would... If, if anybody has a billy stick, I'm gone, no. right? There's yeah. no... no yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. I changed my mind. Yeah. Done. Human rights, sorry. <laughs> Profiles and courage. That's right. <laughs> I'm safe in the podcast. <laughs> um... We got we we have like twenty minutes left. Do you want to go through beers that we've had? Yes, we should far? do that. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, Phil, you want to go? Sure. So uh, I again went down to Brewtopia in Keene, New Hampshire, Ooh. and I said to the guy, "Pick me out six beers that you like." Okay. And so, uh, or more, I said something like. That. And you finished them all, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first one I had was uh, Garrison City Brew Works, which is a New Hampshire brewery. I don't know how widely they're distributed. Uh, uh, it's called Synapse. It's their American Pale Ale. It was it was good. I really liked it um, a lot. The second one, I mixed it up. I usually go with IPAs or like lagers, and the guy said, "Try this Weiss beer." So I had a Julius Echter Weiss beer, hmm. a German wheat beer. Been heard of that one? Uh, and yeah, I think if you liked wheat beers, it would be great. Um, it was. <laughs> Sponsors, so, Phil. Sponsors. Sponsors, yeah. If I if I were picking a beer, I personally wouldn't necessarily pick this one, but I think that's just because I don't love the, the wheat beer. Um, uh, after the IPA, I don't even yeah. Anyway, if you like wheat beers, I'm sure it would be delicious. When, when, you, when you said, I don't like the wheat beer, it made me think of Donald Trump describing the blacks. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. No, nope, no. Nope, I'll, I'll talk about my beers now. No, we're good. All right. So I, I started with uh, a local brewery, um, uh, Buckle Down Brewery, which is close by. I really enjoy this. Uh, and I had a Belt and Suspenders IPA, which is just a wonderful beer. I really I really enjoy that. It's one of my favorites. And Are they paying you, you at this that point? like three weeks I in know. a row. Can you, yeah. Phil, you're not supposed to bring that up. <laughs> they better be paying you. Yeah, no, I do, I do like Buckle Down. They should be paying or sponsoring us, but yes. Uh, and then I went to a uh, beer by Magic Hat, which is out of uh, New York, right? Rochester, New York, called Vamplifier, uh, which is a hoppy red ale. And that was a good beer, and I would describe, I would say I liked it, but it was a weird mix of red and hoppy. I, I like hoppy and I like red, although the mixture together wasn't fantastic. But it was it was a, it's a solid beer, solid beer. It's unique. Yeah, it's unique. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Is that all you had? Was uh, it just the two? Well, I got yeah, I had another uh, uh, so half acre. I also had a third beer. Yeah, but, I'm gonna call you on your shit. All right, yeah. so <laughs> so I had this one last week too because I still have leftover beer, Nick. Wow, you know, I'm so sorry. Uh, so this is a half acre out of Chicago, gone away. Uh, wonderful IPA, very. Very smooth beer. I'm, I'm enjoying that one now. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I went with a Rev Pills uh, Revolution, which is great. Nice and light and uh, airy, but not um, not Miller Lighty or Bud Lighty. Thank God mm. it doesn't taste like peanuts. Yeah. Um, yeah, Revolution is great. Um, I highly recommend it. You should all go. Uh, to Revolution is fantastic. Yeah, it's, oh. it's awesome. They should sponsor us, too. Yes, because yeah. they're nice and they have yeah. liquor. Um, I had, uh, second was an Elysian Space Dust IPA, which is a super cool label, too. Um, and they're based out of Seattle and Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, really kind of a nice light IPA with kind of a, like a grapefruity taste to Ooh. it. Ooh. It was, yeah, Ooh, especially now, good. it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fort so, Collins is just a wonderful place. Yeah. Highly recommend that. 
And I had seen this one around. It was uh, Lagunitas Undercover Investigation Shut Down. Um, <laughs> which was, it's awesome. Like, I've, it's apparently a limited release. It's 9.6% by volume. Um, yeah, it's great. Like, Lagunitas always makes good stuff. But, like I said, I had seen it around over the past week or two. Um, it's nice and kind of caramely, but not overly caramely. And it's got the hops in there and a little bit of fruitiness. I think what, what type of beer? What is, what is it? Is it an I, it's not an IPA? I don't know. Look at it. It, it looks kind of reddish. It does, but it's not a red though. I don't but yeah, know, but it doesn't say. You know, actually, we brewed this especially bitter ale in dedication to all the world's would-be astronauts in remembrance of oh. the 2005 St. Patrick's Day massacre on the brewery party grounds, and also enjoy a celebration of our 20-day suspension that follow that following <laughs> January. Right. Do the crime, do the time, get the bragging rights. Did they? Did they honor? Astronauts would be astronauts. Would be. I'm would gonna have be. to look into the details. All of right. That. So bringing up would be astronauts. Phil, didn't you go to astronaut camp? What? Sure. <laughs> no, you didn't. I remember. Nerd. <laughs> Nerd. I, I could have sworn you were an astronaut at some point. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nerd. Yeah. I was. Yeah, I went to the moon. Now, okay. Now, for the, you were the Texas calculator champion, right? Damn straight I was. <laughs> he really he really was the Texas calculator champion. What does that even mean? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We need to know. Yeah. <laughs> it means I'm the best damn calculator beside <laughs> of the Red River. So you're like the rain man of that particular area? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. How much time do we have left, Nick? What are uh, we at? I don't know, like 15 minutes. All right. Hey, speaking of astronauts, this is totally unrelated to politics. Did you see NASA's big announcement today? Yeah, I was just looking at that, as a matter of fact. All right, so tell us, Phil. Star? <laughs> not, not even So there's a star like 40 light years away that has seven planets, or maybe it's more than that, eight planet planets around it that yeah. several, yeah, that are all like in the sweet zone of like the right amount of like heat and whatever to to possibly support water yes. and life seven earth-sized worlds each potent, uh, potentially capable of hosting liquid water and therefore life found in orbit around a star some 40 light years away this is we important have, we have no ability whatsoever to get there but it's no, fun to know they're there none <laughs> yeah. not at all no but no. we're gonna have to though because you know 10 years from now the environment's not gonna know. be any better well, yeah yeah whatever. No. All right, what's your final saw event horizon? I mean, if we try yeah. wormholes or we just go to hell. Um, All right, what's our final little discussion? Um, that's a fantastic question. Phil? So uh, we could talk uh, <laughs> immigration crackdowns. Yes. We could talk Milo Yiannopoulos. I would like that as well. Oh. My, my, for the first time on the podcast, I rolled my eyes when Milo was brought up. All right, so, <laughs> so realistically, with the Milo thing, did you guys read the transcript of the video or watch the video? No. Uh, the which one? The the, the one the, video? The, the pedophile one. Oh, I, I watched part of the video. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. I did not. I, I I you know with Trump I can only do so much and Milo I just it's just I just I'm not I'm not engaged by that. Um, I think it's an interesting story. Yeah. Personally. I okay, mean, make he's, the case. he's a he's a an out gay conservative yeah. who has extremely um what's the right word, Phil? <laughs> what kind of views does he have? <laughs> Insane. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, I, I mean he's he's an ardent conservative. Yeah. Um super far right. Yeah. Like I said, also gay. And he There's was like people. What's that? He does not like gay people. 
What do you mean he doesn't like gay people? <laughs> he thinks that gay rights are destroying America. He thinks that gay homosexuality is like a, a psychological disorder. He like he yeah. He, <laughs> he's 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 an enigma. That's how we can describe him. Yeah, yeah he doesn't make a whole lot of sense on those sorts of issues. The the only thing I will say I didn't hear. So I, I mean on on this I can see how it's kind of contradictory, in the sense that there was the story that was. Um, or he was on a podcast several years ago um, where he was talking about relationships with younger gay men and older gay men and what that does for, you know, certain people. And there were questions about pedophilia and, and um, age of consent and things like that, which turned into this whole snowball thing about him endorsing pedophilia and things like that to where he had to resign from uh, Breitbart as an editor. His book contract was pulled. His book contract was pulled. He Thanks. was also yeah. to give the keynote at the CPAC right. conference. It's insane. He never should have. Like, like, regardless of what you think of Milo, he was a bizarre pick for CPAC. Sure. But here, for, for me, this the, the one element of the story that I found engaging was that they picked him because of his argument for free speech and the fact that when he went to Berkeley, they protested, and he wasn't allowed to speak. So right. this is a guy that CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, is that the, that the so. act? Yeah. You know, saying like, come in, make your argument for free speech. And then this story broke and they're like, eh, not right. that free speech. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's, which, it's, is, which is a lot of people, critics have pointed out that CPAC's definition of free speech includes, you know, like racist speech like pro-nazi speech <laughs> but as, once you get to pedophilia we're done right that's not acceptable well, yeah, so. and that's the thing like it, and, and not to defend him in any way but if you look at the transcript of the podcast and whatever there's really there's no mention of pedophilia and him supporting it yeah. his point was that he doesn't like the way that um that the left kind of lumps everybody into yeah. the same understanding of you know, you have to be a certain age to be of this maturity level and you can't have your own freedom to make your decisions. And realistically, he did say that um, age of consent laws are roughly around the right age that they should be anyways. And he talked about his own experiences, you know, a, a relationship with a priest nonetheless. Mm -hmm. right. um, this is a conversation, had it not broken the week he was supposed to be, you know, involved for CPAC, might have been different, but that right. audience... Which was shocking that it happened the week of. <laughs> right. So, I'm so surprised. You know, and a, a different audience, that might, you could have a potentially in, a conversation about that. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, I'm, to the broader point that he makes, which is that college campuses need to be more open to a variety of different speeches. I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't disagree with that. I think... Yeah. I also agree that when he went to Berkeley, if the Berkeley students want to protest, pro don't you know don't burn you things. You have every right to protest. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's all part of the process. The Nobody violence. should be sensitive. Uh, but you know, all speech is available. I tend to disagree with his speech, but yes. yeah. <laughs> Here's my take on Milo. <laughs> <laughs> He's an asshole. Okay. He's a total <laughs> asshole. He's a he's a he. All he does is say nasty things about people to get a reaction right mm. and and he does it in the name of free speech which is like that's fine but the the part that i don't appreciate is when he gets all fired up and up in arms about how people are in, infringing on his right to free speech like he has a right to be an asshole yeah. but 
that doesn't mean that anyone has to respect him. No one has to invite them to their campus. No one has to invite them to their CPAC meeting. You're right. They can fire him. They can they can yeah. refuse to publish his books. One hundred percent. Like yeah. if you're going to be an asshole, you can be an asshole, but you have to deal with the fact that everyone's going to treat you like an asshole. Right. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> he was invited to several of those places, and then either couldn't, yeah, say what he wanted to, or his invite was rescinded for you know lack of understanding of what he was saying. But that is not a violation of his free speech. No, right? Right. It's, right. no, yeah. you're you're right. It's not a violation. It's 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 popular backlash that it, what 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 are you, what are you doing this? No, what? That's, that's the way it works, right? That's, that's, that's like you're you you're a good conservative. Market forces, right? Yeah, like, yeah. No, but it's, it's not market it's, forces. When he like people, they're burning shit and things are getting destroyed, and it's a safety concern. That's not market backlash. No. That's not the yeah. free market. No, 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 that's no, no, that's right. democracy at work. Like, <laughs> democracy at work. No, <laughs> that's that's where that's where people undermine their arguments. So I mean, the people and. And I don't know. I didn't read all the stuff on Berkeley, but there were. I mean, like the the violent protesters in Berkeley, they're they're also assholes, right? Yes, like I'll lump them into that same category. But there were widespread non-violent protests against him, and there have been widespread non-violent protests against him in other places. I and agree. If yeah. he has a free, if he has a right to say jerky things, then people have a right to show up and protest. You are one hundred percent right. If there is one person on that campus, if he was invited to that campus, and there's one person regardless of their political standpoint, that wanted to hear what he said, and he was unable to do that for fear of violence or some sort of retribution or property damage or danger to the community, that's not acceptable. So, I, no, I agree with you. My, my only... Uh, I, well, I don't fully agree with you. <laughs> like, there has to be Why more do you tease me like that, <laughs> Son of a bitch. If there's one person on my campus who wants Adolf Hitler to come speak, right? Like, we don't say, like... You know, like at some point, it's more than He's one person. He's not saying gas the Jews or something. Like, it's not to that degree. Right. No, but what you're saying is if one person wants to hear him, that person should get to go say what they no, want. And there I'm... is there's, there, there's obviously a cutoff point for that. If you were okay. talking about the systematic, you know, degradation or elimination or of a specific group of people or calling for actual violence against people, yeah, you should have no right to speak whatsoever. No, but and, I don't think is... that's what's going on. And this is where I'm not sympathetic with the Milo um, case either, because he has a long history of being an asshole in a way that incites people to do mean, not just mean, like nasty, potentially violent things, right? Like he's targeted people. He has been kicked off of Twitter because of these campaigns that he's led in which he attacked people. I heard them. And, and so my, my thought on this is that I, I'm... When people are burning stuff, no good, right? If you're engaging in violence, no good. Depends but, on what they're burning. Well, well yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, Nobody it, needs another Starbucks. If people want, if their speech is, we're going to make it so damn difficult for Milo to even get to the amphitheater, I'm okay with that too, right? I mean, it feels like speech, we can't always work all of these out. And sometimes one speech is going to win over the other. And I think he's got a right to speak. But if... if if people want to show up and prevent that, that's also speech, and and they should try to find other ways to express yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I yeah, yeah. And, and again, I, yeah, I completely agree. They should. They have every right to yeah. show up and make it difficult or uncomfortable yeah. for him to do that. Yeah. Regardless, and you're right. It should be market forces that yeah. dictate whether those people are allowed back again. And realistically, if there's one person there and there's this mess of bad publicity, 
they're not going to be invited back. No. This so, is, like, so I, mm. these, this is like my public speeches. One person shows up and but right. there's Nobody no wants to hear what you say. No, it's, but it's not, it's yeah. not protest. It's, <laughs> it's other, other thing. It's just bored. <laughs> yeah. God, we're bored. This is the other thing that people, I think, get confused about free speech. Free speech is not your right to say anything you want anywhere and everywhere you want, right? right. It is the, your freedom from the government telling you, essentially, that you can't say yeah. that. So uh, if University of Berkeley doesn't want you to show to talk, then tough. Yeah. Right. right, that's that's right. market forces. Their institution, yeah. they can, I mean, it. it but it wasn't the university little... that didn't want him to talk. But he, he was, was invited. Yes, but it was another element within that institution, yes. right? Uh, he could he could go find a friendly place where he would be allowed to speak, which one thought was be CPAC, mm. and then CPAC pulled that. I think that's maybe the most interesting element of all this. I so, just think so. If, if my yeah, if my college invited Milo to come speak. And then the students rose up in protest and demonstrated. And my college said, mm, we changed our mind. Tough. Milo's free speech has not been infringed upon. No, right? but, but I mean, he was supposed to be there, right? Did it like he was actually on the campus, yeah. was he not? He, was. he yeah. was supposed to be there and physically couldn't get to the venue. The, the college said for security reasons, right. we don't want this to go forward. Right. Yeah. And, and realistically, like again, if, if it's if it's the college and, and there's protests going on, we said we don't want you here because of that. That's one thing. If you're there, though, like, you're painting. I, it's still speech, though, right? It's still the the institution saying, or, or elements of the institution saying, like, nope, ain't gonna happen. We're gonna burn some also, stuff. You're also painting with too broad of a stroke, right? We can sit here and say, you don't tell me what I'm thinking, goddammit. <laughs> the violent protests at Berkeley were dumb and were wrong. We can say that, but but what you, I mean, I I get and I totally agree with you on that point. But what you can't do is continue to use that as your criticism of everyone who protests Milo coming to speak at their yeah. campus or at their no, no, college. No, I don't know. I don't think that at all. No. Yeah. I, yeah. And like you said, there have been plenty of protests that are peaceful and, you know, completely civil in every way, shape or form. Obviously those are not the ones that we hear about, but you do hear about, you know, you only hear about the ones that are, are violent and it's so, Milo's not the only one you hear about it with several other commentators and comedians and, other yeah. assholes out there that people don't like their opinions. Here's here's my other irritation with Milo. Okay. I don't like his hair. His hair's a he's, weird. <laughs> this whole Milo conversation's gone on too long. And it fell. Okay, so let me say this. <laughs> we're about out of time. I, I'm pissed that we're having free speech debates about Milo because the guy's yes. stupid. Yeah. Like he, I, there's no like consistent philosophical thread to what he's saying. His whole thing is I'm going to insult people and tell them they're stupid and ugly and get a reaction out of them. Like, let's have let's have a it's free like speech me, debate. Let, like, there there are some good, fairly controversial conservative thinkers. Like, let's have free speech debates about them. Like, why? Let's quit getting worked up over a guy who's just a jerk. Like, okay. Like, All right. Off. Like, let's, so let's then let's about you know I don't know about John Bolton or Ted Cruz or something. John you know, like, Bolton's like, so fucking boring. Oh my god. Oh, but freaking mustache. Great. Oh, that, no. don't, don't trash the mustache, man. I saw him. I'll draw a line. I saw him in person. Really? Okay. It was the most boring, yeah. god awful thing I've ever seen in my I life. Have, he was, not that he didn't have good points. It was just boring. He was almost the national security advisor. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather have free speech arguments and debates about Richard Spencer than yeah. Milo. Because yeah. as much as I disagree with Richard Spencer on like everything, there's like some like thread to him other than just look at me, I'm me. You're right. Yeah, yeah, he's a provocateur. But all right, then I would challenge anyone who listens to this, 
that's part of some sort of collegiate institution or some sort of group to invite those people and let's see what's happening. Well, but see, what see here's the question: Do you so if you're going to have that conversation, do you want it with Milo or do you want it with somebody else? Do you want it with John U? If so, if I you want done, it with everybody. Yeah. Well, I don't. I think we made yes. That the conversation is is right to exist. <laughs> But I would rather. What's that? You don't want free space like that. You don't yeah. want that. You don't want everybody. You because, don't want to like. I, you don't want me to go knock on some door of like some hillbilly in West Virginia and have them come speak just about <laughs> musings of what they think, right? Like you want people who are like actually informed and have like an argument to be made. Because you know that's what? Just, these- Phil, Phil just alienated the hill our hillbilly right. audience. Oh, Phil, damn it, bitch, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> What about those breweries in West Virginia? What are we going to do about that? You're like a hotbed of podcasting. <laughs> no, like, and the vast, vast, vast majority of the time I would agree with you. From my personal perspective, I do want to hear those people because I want to hear how batshit crazy they are. <laughs> I, like, I want to know where the perspective is coming from and yeah. what things that, what makes them think like that, what, what actually makes them tick, and... It, realistically, we don't agree with most of their points. Yeah. Even if I come off as more conservative, I don't agree with 99% of his points. No, but I want to know where the perspective comes from. And that's fair. That's fair. Like, And everybody should have that choice. You want to hear Milo or whoever it is for whatever their rantings might be. I'm more interested in like elevating, I don't know, not elevating. No, right I, I, but see, no, Nick, the thing is, like, nobody's stopping you, right? Like, you can still Milo can put up a website and you could go to it and talk. You know, so you could go knock on a guy's door in West Virginia and talk to him about stuff. The the problem is when people get outraged because nice job recuperating this yeah, yeah. the hillbilly crowd. The problem, is, the problem is when people get outraged because Simon and Schuster drop him or whatever. Like you can be upset about that, but that's not infringing on Milo's rights at all, right? Like no. Simon and Schuster does not have to publish his book. You can't force them to publish his book. If no, they I'm not like saying the they, they can force. You know, they have to be forced to publish his book. I'm not talking about that at all. Like that's not even kind of a point that I'm making. Mm. That is uh, a borderline free market response. I think that's more of a political response. And but, I, mm. I, I, I don't yeah. know that one. I go back and forth on. But realistically, they have every right as a private business to say we don't want to publish your book because of what's going on. So how is that different from a college that doesn't want somebody to speak? Oh, no, I'm not saying that colleges don't have every right to, to, you know, say we don't want you here because of what's going on. My point is when they are invited and the immediate, not the immediate reaction, but if the person is physically there because they were invited by some element of the student body or some organization that's related to the institution, they should be able to speak their piece, even if it's for five Mm -hmm. minutes at a time. Yeah. That's fair. I get that. Yep. That's enough Milo conversation. Please tell me Milo is not going to be the picture for the podcast this week. Don't no, please no please no Milo. No. All right. It won't all right. be a Milo. All right. It's fine. We'll put someone. I else I there. hope that we never talk about Milo <laughs> ever again. <laughs> me too. For the no. rest of our lives. Yeah. Right, no. I I don't want to do it either. Like I said, I don't agree with him on just about anything. No, and I, that's no. I think you're right, and I that he they, like. The more people talk about him and debate this, the more he gets what he wants. And again, if right. I can go back to what I started with, Milo's an asshole. Right. Yes, he is an <laughs> asshole. Let's make the jokes. Right. Let me make the transition. So uh, one of the problems we're running into is we're running out of new beers. So uh, <laughs> at, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned the email. Um, 
if you email us new beers or the Facebook or, you know, the Twitter to use Phil's the in front of everything, uh, send us some ideas for both questions that you would like us to discuss and uh, topics or beer that you think is wonderful. See how I transitioned out of Milo? It's very nice. Yeah, it was, that was, it was very good. It was a little awkward. You got awkward. really uncomfortable with that, didn't you? <laughs> you got real I just, uncomfortable. I just don't like somebody... Milo. Can you email beers now? Like, I can put it into my, like, scanner and, like, send you a beer? Oh, of that course. suggesting? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a transport. I'm, I'm a little behind on technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? No, I th- this was fun. Yeah, this, this is a good one. Um, Phil, anything from you? I don't think so. Got anything to plug? You gonna be anywhere? Uh, heading home after this. Be at the house. For dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Go to iTunes. Review us on iTunes. Uh, send us your thoughts. Uh, yeah, and and share the podcast if you're enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll be back next week with an unnumbered episode. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks, guys. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs>